I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. A little kind of different Talking Points, too. It is it? a little different. We're actually outside this time, and we're not crazy, because notice there's no it's snow on the Michigan. ground. It's not a Michigan outside. <laughs> this is a California outside. We're on the campus of Loma Linda University here with the Advent Hope group of believers Amen. here at the campus. And we're so excited to have been here doing some training. And one of the elements of training that we've decided to do was actually record an episode of Talking Points with a live audience here in the beautiful environs of Southern California. That's right. So this is exciting, first time we've ever done that before. But we do have a lesson to go over this week. Yes. And it's quite a lesson. There's a lot of well, good material. And, and we're breaking a little ground this week. Well, in that this is our first talking points where we actually have just gone with two talking points. Well, we should be clear. I didn't even mention that we're in the first quarter of 2021. This is our uh, topic is the book of Isaiah. And this particular lesson is lesson number nine titled right. to serve and to save. Now, the lessons, we're going to get into the details of what this lesson covers, but as Mark just mentioned, this time we're not going to do three talking points. We're going to actually do only two because there seem to be two main lines of thought developed in this week's lesson, and the, and the lesson where it comes from in Scripture really brings that out. So we're going to talk about that in more detail That's in right. just a couple of minutes. But before we do any of that, can you start us off with a word of prayer? Absolutely. Let's pray. All right. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your many blessings to us. We thank you uh, for the blessing of your word, and we pray that as we go through these talking points, that this resource will prove a blessing to those who are leading out in the study of your word across the world, that it would help people to become ready for the soon coming of Jesus. We ask and pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, now we mentioned that there are only two talking points this week, so Pastor Howard, you want to... Tell us what those two main ideas are as we start our lesson here and deal with as the wind and the elements. Down. That's right. All right. Yes, our two main talking points this week are number one. Um, incidentally, the the quarterly brings up uh, Isaiah chapter 41, Isaiah chapter 42. A lot of the information there also goes to Isaiah 45 and Isaiah 49. We are really going to take the bulk of what we do from Isaiah 41 and 42. But our two talking points, point number one that we're drawing out is that predictive prophecy is God's claim to fame, if you will. Mm -hmm. And you'll see what we mean by that as we get into the lesson. We've drawn that from Tuesday and Wednesday in this quarterly. And then our second talking point and last talking point is that we are God's chosen and he is our deliverer. Amen. Now somebody could say, wait, what? Yes, could, so you could have made that into... Two, we had three talking points, but you'll see why we did that. Um, and that is drawn from Sabbath through Monday's lesson. So actually, this is a, the first time in the Isaiah quarter where we kind of flipped and not gone with the chronological narrative. That's but. right. I was saying, if you took note there, Tuesday through Wednesday is not the beginning of the lesson quarterly, That's but right. we will be touching on the Sabbath, the material that is covered. But for the talking points that came out as you were preparing these notes, it really drew, first of all, from the Tuesday, Wednesday lessons. Right. So why don't we go there now? Okay, so if we take, um, open in our Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 41. The Bible says, Keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near and let them speak. Let us come near together for judgment. Now that threw me at first because the very last verse in the previous chapter says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And you've got the same verbiage right here. And in fact, the same phrase in the Hebrew in verse 
uh, one of chapter 41, but in the context, um, chapter 40 is talking about those who put their trust in the Lord and how the Lord will renew their strength. Well, the ideas of a renewal of vigor of either thought of mind or body or both. Mm -hmm. But when you come to chapter 41, in the context, what he's saying, when he speaks to the coastlands, and you're going to see this as we go on, he speaks to, he's speaking of the Gentile nations. Right. And he's challenging them. God's saying, I want you to renew your strength. And some translations say, bring your best argument. Get your, get your thoughts together, your best thoughts, and come near. He says, let them come near, let them speak, let us come near together for judgment. And then he begins asking these questions. Who raised up one from the east? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him? Who gave... Now, um, time doesn't permit us in talking points, but in the lesson you might be able to flesh out a little bit that you're teaching, that in this particular passage, the Lord is foretelling, <laughs> interestingly enough, that the Babylonian captivity has not even taken place yet. And that's one of the fascinating parts of what we're about to look at is this, what God is foretelling in Isaiah 41 is 150 years before it took place. Mm. Okay, so the Babylonian captivity hasn't even taken place yet, but God's foretelling the deliverer who would come and rescue his people out of Babylonian captivity. Rescue them from the thing Cyrus. that hasn't even happened yet. And yeah. Cyrus came from the east, and God raised him up, and so God is just challenging the Gentile nations. He's saying, you bring your best argument, but let me ask you some questions. Very similar to the Job. I was going to say, in Job, I don't know, I'll quickly refer to it, but Job 38, you know, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. And the same litany of types of questions. Where were you? And so the Lord is basically coming to a conversation saying, you put get, get your mind together and right. come and dress me and we're going to have a talk. Well, watch what happens here. In verse 5, he says, the coastlands, again, the Gentile nations saw it and they feared, right? They see the approach of Cyrus coming and conquering and they feared and it says, they drew near and came. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, be of good courage. Now this sounds great at first, but notice what they're helping each other with. Verse 7, so the craftsmen, <laughs> my page just flipped. Verse 7, the so the craftsmen, yes. yeah, go ahead. the craftsmen encouraged the goldsmith. He who smooths with the hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying, it is ready for the soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. Okay, so the, I, the imagery here is this. God's foretelling the raising up of King Cyrus to deliver his people. Hmm. He's foretelling the Gentile nations seeing the conquest of Cyrus and being afraid. And so what do they do? They turn to their idol. They actually make more idol gods. And it's, it's almost, I think, I don't know that the Lord's not being a little humorous where he's saying, okay, they're turning to their idol gods. They strike it with a hammer. It's ready for soldering. And oh, then they fasten it down that it might not totter. Like, if you've got to fasten your God down so he doesn't totter, maybe you ought to find another God. Well, and throughout and, Isaiah... And so God is exactly. almost, in some ways, mocking the... Like, yes. why are you guys believing this? Well, it's also in Isaiah where he talks about you take down a piece of wood and you burn part of it to cook That's your right. food and the other part you worship. And right. God is almost taunting the other gods and challenging them to take on his supremacy. He's clearly challenging. And so what he does, and again... Um, uh, we're going to delve into this middle path, like in verse 8, it contrasts. He talks about them going to their idols. But then he says, but you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. So he turns his attention to Israel, talks to Israel about how he's their God, how he's going to bless them, how he's going to deliver them. Mm -hmm. And then, fear not, verse 14, fear not, you worm, Jacob. Uh, and, and the... 
the idea of the lesson highlights a little bit, but the idea of calling Jacob a worm is just, you know, Christ himself through the Psalms in a Messianic prophecy refers to himself as a worm. Mm -hmm. and, and the idea, well, the idea is speaking of the weakness of humanity without God. That's mm -hmm. all it's doing. And God is trying to say, even in the context, you know, even though you, Jacob, you're, you got to, again, remember the, ca the context. They're captive. They've been captive for 70 years in Babylon. They're helpless. They're weak. But God is says, says to the worm, fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord. And your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I will make you into a new threshing, you know, etc. He tells them about how he's going to use them and strengthen them and provide for them. Then he comes back around to the Gentile nations. And he says in verse 21, and this and this is picking up on those first thoughts where he says, keep silence for me, coastlands, get your arguments together and bring them. Right. You see that fleshed out here in verse um, 21. He turns back to them and he says, present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us, notice, what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare to us things to come, show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Mm. So, what this brought to my mind, in fact, and it's not highlighted in the lesson, but it is within the context of the reading, is Isaiah 46. And as a pastor and evangelist, I have often referred to Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10 where again the Lord issues a challenge. Isaiah 46 9, why don't you go ahead and read that. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. So let's pause just two, twice right in that short little context he's making the point that there is no one like me. Right. What makes you so different, God? Like, that's what he's about the to tell basis us. Of what that, makes right. you God? Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So here what the Lord says is the thing that makes him God. And there are two things I find in scripture that he will highlight that make him God. One is that he's the creator and the other is that he can predict the future. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly in Isaiah 41 what he's challenging the heathen nations to have their gods do. Like if right. they're gods, have them tell the future. Tell yep. us what's going to come to pass. Because guess what? I'm foretelling what comes to pass and he brings up this whole thing about Cyrus. And, I, and, and our lesson delves in a little bit into this prophecy of Cyrus. It's a fascinating prophecy and I want to highlight that. Well, isn't it interesting too that God has, you know, on occasion, you think of like the children of Israel and the time of Moses when he goes before Pharaoh and he can counterfeit to a certain level certain things. But then it comes to those two elements, creation and prediction, that no other even um, angelic being can do. Right. These are things that only a God can do. And so he says, ah, here's the litmus test. And, and notice That's this, right. you know, we think about nothing is done privately, no private interpretation. God does it on full display. He says, write it down, mark the date on the calendar, sit back and watch. The, all the nations can see it's not done in a corner. And he said, this is my evidence of divinity. Well, we ran out of time on our memory card while we were there in sunny California. So we figured all's not lost. Right? right? We're going to pick it up right here in Michigan. 
One slight difference being, what was the temperature that well, I think day? It was you in remember? The 70, mid 70, 77 yeah. or something. And the only difference is it's only 77 or so degrees cooler here. <laughs> right. So it's, it's 77 below. Exactly. It's, it's practically the same. No, but it so. is right around, I think this morning it was around negative one. At our house, it was 11 below this morning. Negative 11. There so you it's have a little it. chilly. But. Okay, but this is still, this is a great, exciting lesson. We basically laid the case for. God's, you know, our, in fact, our first talking point of two, which was unique in this particular week, mm-hmm. is that predictive prophecy is God's claim to fame. And we right. looked at that as, uh, in some passages in Isaiah 41, where God is challenging the nations to come and sh- predict the future, and I'll know that you're God's. In Isaiah mm-hmm. 46, where we use that often in evangelistic meetings, what have you, where God says, mm-hmm. there's none like I'm me, God knowing the no end other. from yeah. the beginning. Now, one of the most fascinating things in this week's lesson is this prophecy of Cyrus. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand that this was predicted 150 years before Cyrus was even born. And it calls him by name. God calls him by name, tells how he's going to deliver his people. So amazing, in fact, is this prophecy that Wednesday's lesson just goes over the skeptical views of Isaiah. Skeptics have a hard time and try to say that Isaiah must not have been written by Isaiah, at least the second part of it, right. because the predictive element is so accurate. Right. Well, here's what, uh, in, in the lesson on Wednesday, the first paragraph, it says, the fact that Isaiah accurately predicted Cyrus by name disturbs people right. who do not believe that prophets receive predictions from God. Well, logically so. That's, that would shake your framework, right? Right. To cope, they accept the theory that a, quote, second Isaiah, another prophet living in the time of Cyrus, wrote Isaiah 40 of course. to 60. So it's got to be another guy who knew it all. <laughs> so it just doesn't square with a worldview that doesn't That happens all the time, right? Somebody reads a book and says, yeah, you know what? I'm going to pretend I'm that guy and write it the, the rest it of the, the book. <laughs> right. Anyway. But and literally, that's what they come up with. And it's kind of like the prophecies of Daniel. You know, they look at it and they say, well, it had to be written later because it's so accurate, which... For the believer, that's got to be a pretty big validation to say that the skeptics have to come up with something because exactly it right. can't possibly be what it says. Well, let's look at some of the, and I've bulleted this out in our handout. You can get this on our michigansspm.org website on the yes. resources page. But uh, uh, some things that are fascinating. First of all, the, 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 this prediction took place that Cyrus would deliver God's people from Babylonian captivity, number one, before Babylon was a thing. Yeah, let's keep that in mind. It's not just before. Sometimes we think, oh, it's before Cyrus. Yeah. No, no, it's before the power that Cyrus was even fighting against. Like Babylon? Yeah. Babylon couldn't do anything yet. Right. Okay, so before Babylon was a thing and before the Babylonian captivity even took place. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to deliver you from a captivity that hasn't even come yet. Exactly. And so there's so much in that. But Jeremiah had foretold 70 years of captivity. The mm-hmm. captivity did come. Babylon did grow to this great nation, and we've touched on that in previous uh, chapters of Uh Isaiah. And so now God predicts this deliverance from Cyrus. And if you look at chapter 41, for example, verse um, 25, verse 25 says, I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come from the rising of the sun. I'm sorry, and he shall come. From the rising of the sun, he shall call on my name. And so you get this picture of the Delivery, deliverance, in fact, verse 2 says, who has raised up one from the east? So God shows the deliverance coming from both the north and the east. And Mm -hmm. it's fascinating that Cyrus was a uh, Persian king who was ruling in Media, which was to the north of Jerusalem, at the time of the deliverance. And so you've got both of those directions foretold. Again, before they've ever even become a thing, God foretold it. Um, 
He called Cyrus by name, as we've mentioned. If you go to Isaiah 44, why don't you read verse 44? Yeah, verse 28 and then 45, verses 1, 3, okay. and 4, all of those. It says, Who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd. And that's capital M. This is the Lord speaking. He is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Continuing to chapter 45, verse mm-hmm. 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, To Cyrus, whose right hand I have held. Notice he's calling him the anointed. He's my servant, right. my, uh, holding his right hand. For what purpose? To subdue nations before him and to loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. Now, we're going to get into that in a minute, or do you want to That's talk right. about that now? The, well, the idea. yeah, so so here you've got Cyrus called by name. Again, yes. he wasn't named yet except for by God. Right, right. And it's not that his parents read this in the Bible. They're like, hey, he's an Gentile. <laughs> yeah. Like, anyway, that alone right. is fascinating. And then you mentioned, you read where it says, uh, to open one, before yeah. him the double doors and the gates won't be shut. If you look at verse, the previous, uh, verse 27, the previous chapter, chapter well, verse yeah. 26 says he confirms his word to his servant, performs the council, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited. To the cities of Judah, you shall be built. Mm-hmm. So he's the one that's going to make the, the decree. Right. One of the decrees that went to restore Jerusalem. And then you were going to highlight the next verse. Well, it says, who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. So there's an interesting conquest uh, context to the conquest of Babylon, how he right. would do it. Not only where he would come from, what his name would be, but even talking about drying up the rivers, the waters, and going through the double doors... That's this right. is clearly an outline that of the Babylonian... That the gates would be left open. That's go, right. And we know from history now, mm-hmm. this is prophecy. It hasn't happened. Right. But we know from history that that's exactly what happened. When Cyrus went into Babylon, there was a moat around Babylon. Mm-hmm. There were double walls in Babylon. And he decided to go through the riverbed. Mm-hmm. And he diverted the channels Upstream, of the river to yeah, dry yeah. it, you know, dry up the river. And on the inside, historians say that for whatever reason, he probably had inside people, the gates were left open. So he went through the riverbed, into the open gates, into the city, and conquered. Well, we also know what was going on inside the city at that time. Because you compare it to Daniel chapter 5, you know there's the Belshazzar's Feast, this great revelry, and all this kind of stuff. So their defenses are down. They're feeling... And Cyrus has this plan to divert through, and it all works out seamlessly according to the prophecy. Absolutely. And and so what's interesting here is that a lot of what we're reading is Cyrus is going to conquer the Babylonians, and but conquering the Babylonians doesn't free the Jewish people. Right, right. Where it talks about him making this decree, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited to the cities of Judah, you shall be built. How this came about, so God foretells these that Cyrus being the deliverer, mm-hmm. but then some other interesting events take place in, in the fulfillment of this, which are just fascinating. When, when Cyrus conquered Babylon and set up, you know, a Babylonian rule, Daniel was brought into, you see, you go to the book of Daniel and get some of these pieces, but mm-hmm. Daniel was brought into Persia now. He was, a, he was in Babylon. The Persians, um, let him retain his leadership, brought him in, and you read that, of course, the whole story of Daniel and the lion's den. <laughs> you know, so I've da- always pictured, I don't know how you view the night of revelry and whatnot, and Daniel, because yes. Daniel's there, front and center, so right. it's actually happening. So it's not just a thing he talked about, he was there, standing there. And you imagine, that very night, you know, the 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 the, 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 the fortress is, you know, yes. pushed in, and, and so Cyrus and his men, the, the whole army comes in to take over Babylon, and there's Daniel standing there. And he's, of course, one of the 
high appointed leaders in Babylon, and you right. and, and how did he escape? You know, I wonder if he was like he goes with the handwriting on the wall and the whole thing. And Daniel was like, "Hi, you might. Uh, my name is Daniel. I am not with them. You know, I don't know exactly how it worked out, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. somehow he survives the transition from Babylon to Medo Persia." And the Lord had him in place for such a time as this, if you will, you know. Absolutely. And and then when he comes into Persia, mm-hmm. the king on the throne was Darius the Mede. Now historians can test, can contest the the personhood of Darius the Mede, mm-hmm. say he was a made-up person, because history doesn't record him by that name. We believe history records him by the name of Cyaxerxes II. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about Cyaxerxes was that he was the uncle of... Darius the Mede was the uncle of Cyrus the Great. Mm. So now Darius comes into this situation and his princes try to pull one over on him and get Daniel framed to go into the lion's den. And you remember the story, the the laws of the Medes and Persians can't be changed. Darius was not happy about this, but he couldn't change the law and he couldn't sleep at night. He went out first thing in the morning. Daniel is the God who you serve, able to deliver you. Yes, my Lord God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. You think about the how powerful that was of an evidence of Daniel's God and his protection, whatever else. Well, that story got to Cyrus Mm. and that connected Cyrus to Daniel. To Daniel and the scriptures. And and gave Daniel an opportunity to share with him Mm. those things that that, uh, were predicted. And I don't have it here in the handout. Well, I have it referenced on... um, this is Prophets and Kings 556. Is yes. that where you're headed? Yes. And uh, it's a fascinating passage. I'm not going to read all of it. But Ellen White says, first of all, that the reign of Darius was honored of God. And she quotes Daniel 11.1, 1, which says, To him was sent the angel Gabriel to confirm and strengthen him. So God's hand is in all this. Now it goes on to say in the next uh, paragraph, again on page 557 now of Prophets and Kings, the deliverance of Daniel from the den of lions had been used of God to create a favorable impression upon the mind of Cyrus the Great. Mm. So you see how God is working his purposes out here. says, The sterling qualities of this man of God as a statesman of far-seeing ability led the Persian ruler to show him marked respect and to honor his judgment. And now, just at the time God had said he would cause his temple to be at Jerusalem to be rebuilt, he moved upon Cyrus as his agent to discern the prophecies concerning himself with which Daniel was so familiar. Why why did it matter that Daniel was familiar? The implication is that he connected Cyrus with Daniel through the lion's den event to show Cyrus the prophecies. And when Cyrus saw the prophecies, they became the evidence to him Mm. (laughs) that God, the God of the Jews, was the God of heaven, this almighty. and Mm. and, And in fact, she goes on to say that when he saw these prophecies... um, she says his heart was profoundly moved. I would imagine. And he determined to fulfill his divinely appointed mission. This is speaking of Cyrus the Great. He would let the Judean captives go free. He would help them restore the temple of Jehovah. Just mm. incredible. But no, he found his identity and mission in the scriptures after seeing the fulfillment of Bible prophecy and how it was so accurate. And it's not, not like, well, it must have been written by a second Isaiah. That's right. He said, clearly, this is the word of God. And so, I mean, we could, we could go down this rabbit hole for a while. We don't need to. But you look at the, the outlining of Daniel, how 
the the image you know outlines these Bible yes. pro- these kingdoms right, and then you have the testimony in chapter five of the fall of Babylon, chapter six the night in the lion's den, mm-hmm. and it's all setting the stage so that Cyrus would get the information he needs That's right. at the right time and the right place so God's purpose would be fulfilled and he'd let his people go. Exactly. Incredible. And 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 that brought to mind this statement from Desire of Ages 32, which she, Ellen White here is commenting on the passage where it says, in the fullness of time God sent forth his son, and just mm-hmm. the power of that predictive prophecy. Ellen White writes, like the, va- like the stars in the vast circuit of their appointed path, God's purposes know no haste, and no delay. God had revealed to Abraham the bondage of Israel and Egypt and had declared that the time of their sojourning should be 400 years. Against that word, all the power of Pharaoh's proud empire battled in vain. On the selfsame day appointed in the divine promise, it came to pass that all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And I think about the fact that even today, against the word of God, all Pharaoh's proud host symbolically, mm. battle in vain. When God has predicted it, you can have confidence it will come to pass. And so this isn't just for Isaiah and, and, right. and Cyrus and Daniel. It's for us today. Now, obviously, to, to put a conclusion on this, we have to get to our next point, but Cyrus needed the love of God and the, and the, and the, and the assurance of salvation, mm-hmm. all those things that we find. But what brought him to a conviction that there even was a God and that there was an accountability to him was the power of predictive prophecy. That's right. And oftentimes people will ask you, well, why do we have to which, talk about prophecy? Which we didn't choose to highlight. No, no. This God was the himself way. says, this is what makes me God. In fact, he doesn't even just paraphrasingly say yeah. that. Over in Isaiah, how many times does he say, look, yeah. you put out anything else that claims to be God and compare it to me, and this will be the test of my divinity, <laughs> right. right? And so when we have put on like prophecy seminars, and we always start with Daniel 2 and the images and the book of Revelation and these things, it's not because, like, we've Why are you got trying this, to scare people? Exactly. It's not like they have this cute little marketing thing that we've come up with. This is what the Lord yes. says will arrest the attention of the people just as it did with Cyrus. And how many times in your ministry, Mark, have you seen people realize that there's a God and That's have exactly now a right. sense of, like, he knows me, he, he loves me, or his word should be taken seriously because it's real. The, the, That's right. it's pr- the power of predictive prophecy, we cannot, as a people shuffle that off to the side as it's just some sort of little parsley on the plate when the Lord says, this is the evidence that I am real and it will move people. Well, we have very little time for our last point, which we knew. In fact, our our, our talking point two, which is our last one in this particular talking points, is we are God's chosen and he is our deliverer. And somebody could say, well, why didn't you just make that three? But the point is, we knew that we were going to take more time on predictive prophecy primarily because even as a church, a prophetic movement, we have taken so much less time on predictive prophecy, and I didn't want to overlook it. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is that, uh, and I'm not even going to spend a whole lot of time in this particular talking points, you know, the, the Isaiah 41 starts out where the Lord calls his servant, my servant whom I have chosen, and he's talking about the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. But it transitions with that concept of a servant as you come into Isaiah chapter 42, and we'll spend the remainder of our time on that. And I want to make the segue, what's really happening, we might even look at this whole, in this context, you've got Cyrus and his deliverance, deliverance from the east and the north and whatever else. Well, there are strong parallels in Cyrus to Christ. Mm. You talk about the conquest of Babylon, Revelation mirrors that. Babylon is fallen. Yeah. Well, in Revelation chapter 16, talks about 
the the the, the river, great river Euphrates right. being dried up. up to make way for the kings King from the, the east. east. Well, Christ is coming from the east, mm. like Cyrus came from the east. So you see those parallels, and that's why the lesson goes here, and why Isaiah goes here. And I don't want to diminish uh, the importance of you know the Isaiah forty two, behold my servant, and the covenant, and even Isaiah forty nine. The lesson touches on the same idea of the messianic prophecy. Mm. But we have spent, and we will spend, we're not into Isaiah 53 yet, we're going to spend more time on the Messianic prophecies, and I really wanted to look at the predictive prophecy element. Mm. Now, in Isaiah 42, just if you want to read the first few verses there quickly. Sure. Um, well, through verse 6, or where do you want me to go? Because <laughs> we're going to hit verse 6 too, but it yes. starts in verse 1. Behold, sure. my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastland shall wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Of course, it goes out to talk about opening blind eyes and the prison house and those who sit in darkness. Yes. All of the, I mean, it's just a very powerful prophecy, but very clearly messianic. In fact, Albert Barnes, in his notes on Isaiah 42.1, makes this point. He says, the entire description is one that is exactly and entirely applicable to the Lord Jesus. It is as applicable as if it had been made after he had appeared among men, and a as if it were the language of biography and not of prophecy. <laughs> it's so accurate. You could and and of course, this is why in Matthew chapter 12, I mean, Matthew clearly applies this prophecy. Absolutely. Like Jesus' ministry was a fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And you can see that. His, his manner of ministry, not crying out or raising his voice in the street. It was a, oftentimes a one-on-one -on -one mm. audience was his audience. Um, not failing or being discouraged till he's established justice. He kept on uh, uh, faithfully in his ministry and, um, of course, bringing forth justice to the Gentiles. The smoking flax, not quenching. A smoking flax, the, the lanterns, oil lamps, mm. had a, a wick made of flax. And mm. The idea is, if, the, if it's flickering, he's not putting it out. Mm -hmm. If there's somebody who's struggling, Jesus would minister them in such a way mm. as it would be kind and gentle. And I mean, just so clearly of the ministry of Christ. But the thing that caught my attention the most is, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the Gentiles. Like, I'm not going to give you to make a covenant. I'm mm -hmm. going to give you, you are, as a covenant. Yeah. And the imagery of that is just that it's in the person of Christ, bringing humanity into mm. himself, divinity to humanity in himself, that he himself becomes the covenant mm. of God between his people. It's fascinating. Um, well, it's kind of like the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians right. 2.14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both right. one and who has broken down the middle We could say he gives us peace and right. he affects peace. Which is Great, true, but... but the peace is found in him as a person. His right. being is our peace. In our receiving him as... The mm. servant. And so, maybe to summarize, everything that we've been looking at, all this, this week's lesson has been predicting the coming of a deliverer. And we see in Cyrus a type of Christ who would come later, and the fact that when God has predicted, in any case, 
All the proud host of Pharaoh <laughs> battle in vain to stop it. Amen. The deliverer Cyrus came. The deliverer Jesus, deliverer Jesus has come, and and Jesus' ultimate deliverance is coming. It mm-hmm. is second coming, and it will all happen just as God has predicted. Amen. What a powerful way to close this down, and we need to to transition out. But what a great lesson this week, and we want to thank you for joining us. And may God bless your local Sabbath schools as you study these things out in person. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another reminder that you not only exist, but you speak to us and you draw us to you through the power of predictive prophecy and that you have a plan for us and it is for our good and not for our destruction. Lord, help us to find in you not just peace in a worldly sense and calm, but help us to find that deep spiritual heart longing peace that only you can provide. Let each of us know you now and see you when you come soon. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.